Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Let me share this up front because when I was preparing this message, not last week, but the week before I left, uh, I generalized this message to be about seeking godly counsel. But let me say this, we all need to seek godly counsel. Uh, as individuals, but also as parents, even in leadership today. It's always good to have godly counsel. So I've generalized this message beyond parenting, but it's in a series about parenting. And so I will just simply say that we, all of us, whether we're parents or not, need to seek godly counsel so that we can do what God wants us to do. Uh, I love uh, an illustration I found from Ann Graham Lotz. You know, that's a uh, Billy Graham's daughter, and she says, I'm often asked, Ann, I have a major decision to make. How can I know if I'm in God's will? Now, that's a great question. Maybe you've asked that question before. How do I know when I'm in God's will? And I love what Ann Graham Lott shared. She shares a great illustration to help us understand how you can be in the center of God's will. She says, I usually explain that when an airplane comes in to land, uh, during the night, the controller uh, has to tell the pilot to line up the runway lights and to make sure all the l- runway lights are, are lined up so that as they're hovering around in the sky, they see this runway lit up, they see the line of lights, and they know if they land between these two lines of lights, they're right there in the center of the runway. And she says, you know, when it comes to knowing what God's will is for your life, you got to know what the runway lights are. And if you land between them, you're going to be right in the center of God's will. And she said there are four things that you could consider runway lights to determine God's will in making decisions. One is, what does God's Word say? Okay, what does God's Word say? Number two is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit impressing on your heart? Okay, number three is the uh, circumstances. How is God using, how is He working through circumstances to, to get your attention, to speak to you about something? And then the fourth thing is godly counsel. Okay, godly counsel. Godly counsel from mature Christian friends. When you hear from all four of those sources, and particularly when they're all pointing in the same direction, then you can find yourself in the center of God's will. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today is about seeking godly counsel. Whether you're a, a leader in the marketplace, you're a parent at home, uh, whatever you, you do in life, many times we can get caught up in what's going on between our two ears. Uh, our vision can get clouded. Uh, we can tune out other people and other things And all of a sudden, we can become a victim of our own thinking, particularly if it's bad thinking. And so, how do we seek godly counsel? Well, I'll set it up this way. First of all, we have to commit ourselves to God. When it comes to Proverbs, perhaps my favorite proverb of all, and y'all probably have heard this before because you can find it quite easily. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is a often quoted proverb, you see it on um, signs, you see it in cards and all kinds of things, but Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 
says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him and He will make your path straight. I love that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay? Don't rely on your own understanding. I'm one of those guys, I want to see it first. I want to figure it out. Okay, God, you're telling me to trust you. Well, I want to see how this works. I want to figure it out. And he goes, no, you've got you've to trust me. So when I trust God with all my heart, I don't rely on my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge him. Then he makes my path straight. Warren Wiersbe has some great words to say about that proverb. He says these two verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, have encouraged believers everywhere in their quest for God's guidance. And for those who have sincerely met the conditions, the promise has never failed. But when we say, I'm trusting in the Lord, what are we really affirming? And he breaks it down into four things. When we say we're trusting in the Lord with all our heart, we're affirming that we belong to God. We're affirming that God has a plan for our lives. We're affirming that this plan is the best thing for us. And we're affirming that the Father will reveal His plan, as far as the details, in His time. And that is so true. So when you meet the conditions of trusting the Lord with all your heart, not relying on your own understanding, acknowledging Him in all your ways, then yes, He can and will direct your path. But you've got to meet those conditions. Um, There's another Bible verse, Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, in these three verses in Proverbs, you see what man does, and then you see what God does, okay? So, man reflects in his heart, but it's what the Lord gives the answer on the tongue. Uh, A man's ways seem right until they hear from God, and God weighs our motives. When we commit our activities to the Lord, then... Uh, our plans will be established. Why? Because we've committed them to God. And so that's what we're talking about, committing ourselves to God. If we're going to trust God with all our heart, then we have to fully commit ourselves to Him. Wearsby says God expects us to use our brains and make plans, but He also expects us to submit those plans to Him and let Him make the final decision. And I love that. I love that. You know, one of my mentors, Patrick Danny, Well, he and I were talking years ago about preaching. And he says, let God use your personality in preaching. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, we've got planners and we've got spontaneous people. You know, I I had a a cousin and a roommate in college. His dad was a preacher. And he, he read himself full, Devin. He prayed himself full. And then he woke up on Sunday morning and said, hmm, what am I going to preach on this morning? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Woo, he was not a planner. Uh, and then uh, there are planners that pray, God, show me what you're saying to me. Show me what you're saying to the church. And I want to 
prayer, pray about those things. I want to study those things. And then I want to plan them out over time. And the beautiful thing is God works through both kinds of personalities, whether you're a planner that plans things three, six months out in advance, or whether you just live in the moment and you don't know what you're going to do until right before you do it. God can work through both personalities when they're fully committed to Him. Okay? And I love that. And so I want you to realize that. You and I need to be fully committed to Him. Proverbs 21, uh, verse 30 and 31, reminds us that no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. Now, again, uh, it doesn't matter how much we put into something. What matters is what God does with it, okay? You can put all kinds of effort and planning and stuff into something, but it's what the Lord does with it. A horse is prepared for the day of battle. If you have an army, you're going to make sure that you have soldiers and that they're well-equipped and they're trained and they have everything they need. But victory, the Bible says, comes from God. And never forget that. Never forget that. So when we commit ourselves to God, we're not asking God to, to just put His rubber stamp blessing on our plans. Oh no, we're coming to Him and we're saying, Lord, I want to fully trust You. I don't want to rely on my own understanding or wisdom. I want to fully trust you. I want to acknowledge you in everything that I do. And I want to trust that you'll work in me and through me as you see fit. And he will. And he does. Well, when we do that, when we, when we commit ourselves to God, then the other side of that is God guides our steps. And I want to share, share with you some more Proverbs that illustrates that, how God guides our steps. One of my favorites is Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9 says, a, person, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Oh, I love that. Uh, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, you heard my story when I was a teenager. I, in high school, I got passionate about band and about music, and I wanted to be a band director, and I was all in. If you know anything about band, there is no off-season. You go from uh, marching band to concert season to parade season to, to uh, band camp, and it just cycles. And then somewhere in there, you got solo ensembles, and it just never ends. It just goes from twist to turn. It's a, it's a full season. A lot of you in sports now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Off-season lasts about, what, two weeks, maybe? And then, boom, you go right into prepping for the next season. And so, a person's heart plans his way. We're used to having plans, and, and we're passionate about ideas and activities, and we have, we have our agendas, and we have our schedules, and we're making plans right now in our minds, some of you. But what does the Bible say? The Lord determines his steps. Now, one of my favorite examples in the Bible about this is Jonah. You know the story about Jonah and the whale. Jonah, he was a prophet. He loved God. He, he served God. He was used to speaking God's words to God's people, okay? And then God called Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he said, where? Uh, Nineveh, like public enemy number one, 
of Israel in that day and time. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach uh, uh, to them that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy that place in 40 days. And Jonah said, mm-mm. Uh, he, he actually, if you read the story in the book of Jonah, there's not much talking on the front end. It's as we get toward the end of the book, we understand more about Jonah's story, about what's going on in his mind and in his heart. But basically, God tells Jonah, go that way and preach to Nineveh. And you know which way Jonah went? He went that way. He went the, he went the opposite direction as far as he could get. And as he was running away from God, he had his own plans, but the Lord was determining his steps. And when he got uh, down to Joppa and down to the port and got in the sea in a ship, a storm came up. And all of these uh, sailors started crying out to their gods, and they wondered why he didn't cry out to his. He was asleep in the bottom of the ship. And as you read the story, everything is going down down to Joppa, down to sea, down in the bottom of the ship. Everything in Jonah's life is going the wrong way. And all of a sudden you realize that uh, he tells them that, you know, I'm Jonah and I serve the God of the, the sea and the land. Really? Well, he's not happy right now, Jonah. And he tells them that he's been running from God. And he finally says, you just need to throw me overboard and everything will go calm. Well, the strange thing is, they did throw him overboard, and everything did return calm, but now God had determined Jonah's steps. And in behind the scenes, although it's unspoken, but you can see it as it unfolds, it's almost as if God says, all right, Jonah, if you're not going to listen to me, and you're going the opposite direction, doing the opposite thing, clearly... Uh, ignoring everything that I'm commanding you to do. If we're not going to do this the easy way, we're going to do this the hard way. And the Bible says that God prepared a great fish for Jonah. And that fish swallowed Jonah. And many of us believe it was a whale. And he was in the belly of that fish for three days, three nights. And then the Bible says in Jonah 2 verse 1, I believe it's chapter 2 verse 1, or maybe it's 3 verse 1, But in the middle of the book, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad for second chances? I'm so thankful for second chances. I'm I'm thankful for tenth chances and a hundred chances, if you want to be honest about it. But uh, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time, he was ready. This time, he's like, All right, Lord. All right, I'll go. And the next thing you know, that great fish spits him up on dry land. You know, a lot of people go, I can't believe he spent three days in that belly of the fish. How about he gets spit up on dry land? How's that for, okay, now that you're ready, I'm bringing you right to where you need to be, boy. Hop to it. And the next thing you know, here he goes tearing off to Nineveh, and he starts preaching. And the amazing thing is, as crazy as this story sounds, you would think a wild hide prophet that's been in the belly of the whale that's got probably an acid smell, he probably smells and looks horrible, he shows up telling people, you need to turn or burn, you need to get right 
we got or he's going to judge this city, all this kind of stuff. You'd think people would look at him and go, boy, that's a crazy guy there, isn't it? But you know what? They heard his message. They took it to heart. And the Bible says that everybody in Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, every single one of them, citywide repentance. Like, it's, it's, the, it's honestly the greatest revival in the Bible. If you go from beginning to end in your Bible, the greatest moment in the Bible where everybody in one place heard God and got right with God, of all things, Nineveh. Except for one guy. Jonah, right? Jonah, he, he gets mad at God. He goes outside the city. He's, he's waiting. He's counting down. Okay, 39, 38, 37. Can't wait. 40 days are over and boy, God's going to show up and he's going to wipe these people out because he didn't like Nineveh. Public enemy number one, remember? And the next thing you know, God spares Nineveh because of Jonah's preaching and because of their repentance but mostly because of the mercy of God. And at that point, Jonah is angry with God. Isn't that funny? It's the one revival in the Bible where the preacher needed to get right. And so he, he's arguing with God. And God, you know, says, you know, why are you angry at me? You know, he, he lets a, a plant grow up and it serves as a kind of like a, a shade and a shelter for Jonah. He enjoys, you know, the, the sun is so hot and the scorching wind comes. All of a sudden, here comes this plant, and it provides him shade. It provides him relief. And then God sends a worm that eats up that plant and makes it wither. And all of a sudden, he's pouting again, and he's angry, not only of what God did, but the plant was there, and now it's not. And God says, you got more pity, Jonah. For plants than people. And the story ends. Like if you're at a, you know, if you're at a drama and here it is, this bright shining moment where here comes the punchline, hey, you you pity plants more than people. And you're like, and then close the curtain. End of story. What do you mean the end of the story? Story ends. Well, what happened next? We don't know. I guess we'll find out someday when we get to heaven. But uh it's a brilliant ending to a, a great story because it, it, it begs the question to be answered. And really, you and I are the ones that can only answer it. Do we pity other things more than we do people? You see, we have our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, and Jonah is living proof to that. I love this proverb, and this is one of my favorites. Proverbs twenty twenty four. It's spoken to me many times through the years. Even a courageous person's steps are determined by the Lord. So how can anyone understand his own way? Now, I, I learned that in a different Bible translation when I was younger, but it basically says that if the Lord determines your steps, how can you understand your own way? In other words, when you follow Jesus, when you live by faith and not by sight, there will be times that you do things that you don't understand. And then when people ask you, you don't know how to explain it. I mean, let's go back to the Bible for a minute. Can you imagine being Noah? And uh, God speaks to you. Can put yourself in Noah's shoe for, for a minute. 
And God says, all right, Noah, I've had it up to here. You know, everybody in the world has gone astray and it just goes from bad to worse. I'm fixing to send a flood and I'm going to destroy everything, but I'm going to spare your family. I want you to build an ark. Here are the plans. I want you to build an ark and build it and be ready. I will send animals to you and when the day comes, I'll shut you in the ark and you'll be saved and spared, but everything else will be wiped out. Now, if you were Noah, you'd be like, it's going to what? It's going to flood. What's that? It's going to rain. What do you mean? Because if you read the Bible, at that point it had not happened. And so when you live by faith and not by sight, many times you're going to go, I don't know. I know through the years as I've sought the Lord about different things, I've learned that I can trust Him, I can follow Him, I can obey His Word, I can find those runway lights of what God's Word says and what the Holy Spirit's saying to me and how God is working through circumstances and the godly counsel of other people. And if I follow those guidelines, I can be right in the center of God's will. And even then, I can go, I don't understand this, but I believe this is what God wants me to do. And you know what? When you live by faith and not by sight, you won't always understand your own way. But you don't have to worry about that. What did the Proverbs say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He's the one in the driver's seat. He, He will direct your path. Well, let's go on. Here's a, an illustration to show this. Imagine... Imagine that uh, the difference between our perspective and God's perspective. I was reminded of that this week. We were in a condo, Panama City Beach, and the building had 23 floors. So you know what we had to do, Dan? We had to go all the way up to the 23rd floor and look out and go, wow. You know, we were on the fifth floor. It looked all right. But boy, when you get up 23 floors and you look out, well, that's small down there. You know, you see all these big buildings and then they get smaller real quick. You know, that's the difference in our perspective and God's perspective. You know, our perspective when it comes to living life, it's like a man in a car driving down a road and he can only see what's in front of him. He can't see over the hill. He can't see around the curve. He can only see what's in front of him and he responds accordingly. But God's perspective is like a man in a plane flying above the landscape. He can see it all. And that's the difference between our perspective and God's perspective. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So let me give you a couple things today before I wrap up. Why do we seek godly counsel? I'm going to say for two main reasons. We seek godly counsel to understand people. How many times have you had a problem in your life? You had a difficult situation. You, you, were, you were dealing with a, another person. You were in the context of some kind of relationship, and you didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to say. You didn't know how to act. You didn't know how to proceed. Um, that's why we need godly counsel. Proverbs 20, verse 5, says, Counsel in a person's heart is like deep water, but a person of understanding 
draws it out. And I love the example. How, how does a man of understanding draw out what's in people's hearts? Obviously, nobody did that better than Jesus. And I can think of a couple of situations in the Gospel of uh, John where Jesus did precisely that. He, he, he was able to draw out understanding in someone's heart and show them what the real need was. One situation is John's, uh, Jesus' encounter with uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You remember Nicodemus. He was a religious man. And uh, he had a reputation to uphold. And so he actually seeks out Jesus at night. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want his colleagues and peers to know that he's stepping aside and he's seeking some advice from, you know, Rabbi Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he says, you know, I believe you've come from God because no one could do the things that you do uh, and, and it not be from God. And Jesus cuts straight to the chase. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, you know, he says, the wind blows this way, it blows that way, uh, but we don't understand it. And he says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Unless you're born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you'll never be in the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus got all caught up in the, in the language and he goes, born again? How can I, you know, someone being old, how can I go back and be born again. How can I come out of my mother's womb a second time? And he missed the message that Jesus was trying to say at the moment. And then, of course, the second example of where Jesus encountered someone and drew out understanding was in John 4, the woman at the well in Samaria. One of my favorite stories. It's the middle of the day. Hot, you know, desert the sun's shining right upon you. It's the one time of day you don't go to a well. Everybody goes in the morning when it's cooler or in the evening when it's cooler. You don't go in midday. Jesus had a sense of the Father's timing in his life. He goes to this well in Samaria, and the next thing you know, here comes a woman all alone by herself, and he asks her for water, and her defenses immediately go up. She didn't expect to see anybody there. She didn't want to meet anybody. She had a reputation. She had her own problems. There was a reason why she came in the middle of the day to avoid everyone else. And so she's like, hey, why are you talking to me? She even recognizes that he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Hey, why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus cuts straight to the chase. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water and you'd never thirst again. Who talks like that? And all of a sudden, he scratched her itch. She's like, wait a minute. What do you, what, what do you mean? What do you mean water that uh, will make me never thirst again? And she begins to dialogue with him. And then she's like, who are you? Are you greater than our father Jacob who built this well? And the story unfolds, and she goes from going... Who are you to, you know, you're just a man to, you must be a prophet to, you're the Messiah. When she says, you know, she throws a religious argument at him and he says, listen, the day will come when whether you're here or there, the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. 
And then she goes, well, someday Messiah will come and he will explain everything to us. And, she, and he says to her, you're talking to me. She drops her bucket. That's my favorite part of the story. She drops her bucket and leaves. And the disciples show up going, what just happened? And the next thing you know, this woman who was coming to a well in the middle of the day when nobody was supposed to be around, who's avoiding people like nobody's business, now she runs to town. And she tells everybody, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the next thing you know, the whole town shows up at that well in the middle of the day. And before it's all over with, they invite him to stay another day or two. And finally they say, you know, it's not just because of your word. We've seen for ourselves. And he really is the Savior. Of the world. I love that story. But it all unfolded with a conversation. Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Nicodemus had questions about the work of Jesus. The Samaritan woman had questions about the well. And as John Phillips said, no matter what our needs are, we find in him what Nicodemus found, how to be born again. And we find in him what the woman at the well found a well of water that springs up into everlasting life. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about wind, and he talked to the woman about the well and water, and he'll talk to you and I about our greatest needs. You see, Jesus is that godly counsel that we all need, and he's the man of understanding that can draw things out of our hearts and help us see what our true needs really are. And that's what I love about it. That's why we need godly counsel is to understand people. But there's another reason why we need godly counsel. And this is the last one. And that is guidance from God's Word. Guidance from God's Word. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Without guidance, a people will fall or fail. And, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. And Proverbs fifteen twenty two Plans fail when there's no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Can I tell you that your best counsel is from God's Word? You've heard me say this, but I'll say it again. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 104. Look at what it says. It says, How I love your instruction. It's my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they're always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders, because I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I've not turned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. How sweet your word is my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. You know, here is David who wrote the, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It's a poem about how great God's word is. And in this section of Psalm 119, he says... Because I meditate on your word, because I uh, uh, obey your precepts and follow your word, and I allow you to instruct me, and all of those things, I am now uh, wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers and more understanding than my elders. How does someone enjoy that kind of benefit when they get godly counsel 
from God's Word. And that's what we all need. It helps us understand people, and it gives us guidance from God. Let me wrap this up for you today. Colossians 2, my last verse. Colossians 2, 1 through 3 in the New Testament. Paul said, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you catch that? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, many times in life, we struggle, we get stuck, we stumble, we, we come up against an issue, a problem, a situation, and we're not sure what the best path forward is. Where do I go from here? What do I do next? What should I do now? How do I deal with this situation? What do I say to this person? What am I supposed to do? Can I tell you that the wisdom that you and I need is in Jesus? It's in Him. And when we seek Him, when we trust Him with all our hearts and stop trying to figure it out on our own and we acknowledge His ways instead of our own, when we meet the conditions of the promise, He will direct our path. And the mystery part of it is when you trust Him, when you fully rely on Him, you may not understand what you're doing. And I've learned to be okay with that. I mean, I look at all the people that live by faith in the Bible. Hey, Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. That happened in Genesis 12. I can just see it right now. Abraham starts packing his bags. Sarah says, what are you doing? And he says, well, God wants us to go. Go where? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? He said he'd show me. Well, when's he going to show you? I don't know. I think we got to get moving. You're not making any sense, you see? And so when you walk by faith and not by sight, you're not always going to understand what you're doing, but you will know why you're doing it. You're following Him. You're trusting Him. You're obeying Him. And that makes all the difference in the world. You know, there, there are times that people get stuck in life. You know, Nicodemus, he thought he had everything all figured out. He was a religious man. He lived in a religious area. And he had heard all the explanations. He had a little box for everything. He thought he had everything all figured out. And then Jesus comes and he's like, well, how can that guy not be from God and do the things that he's doing? But I don't understand what he's saying. And then he tells me I have to be born again. He talks about when. You, you can't see when, but you see the results of the when. And all of a sudden, Jesus gives Nicodemus a box and he don't know what to put in the box. And Jesus says, look, you got to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The woman at the well, she had a past that she couldn't run from. She couldn't get rid of. She didn't know how to shake it, so she just tried to avoid everybody all the time. And then one fine day, Jesus intrudes upon her little world. And he says, you know, if you knew who you was talking to, I'd give you water and you would never thirst again. 
all of a sudden that snapped her out of her senses. What? You mean, you mean there's a fix to all this? You mean, you mean, you mean I won't have to keep coming to this well? That's where she was. So that's how he spoke. And all of a sudden, she realizes, who does this guy think he is? Is he just trying to con me? Is he just trying to promise me something he can't keep? And she goes from going, he's a man, to he's a prophet, to he's the son of God. I want to tell you something. Wherever you are today, you and I need godly counsel. We, we need to realize the runway lights. And we need to make sure that when we make decisions in life, that we're seeking God's word, we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we're seeing how God's working through our circumstances, and we're getting godly counsel from other Christian people that we respect. And we want to live our lives in the center of God's will. And in order to get that godly counsel, we need to realize that Jesus is the one that draws out understanding in our lives. He sees our frustration. He sees where you are. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you're in a situation you can't change because you don't know, you're not in control. And God is saying, look, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to get ahead of it. Acknowledge me in everything you do. And if you'll meet that condition, trust me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. I will direct your path. And the kicker is, you may not understand it. You might say, oh, you know, I'll tell this story before I close. Some of you have heard this. Most of you have heard this before. Some of you probably haven't. Uh, you know, I became a Christian at the beginning of my senior year in high school. I still had plans. I was going to be a band director. By the, by the end of my senior year, I graduated. Two weeks later, I surrendered to preach. God totally changed my plans. Had one of those Jonah moments where he says, All right, Corey, I want you to go that way. And so he got my attention, and I said, Yes, Lord. And I went his way. And, uh, you know, I, I did the, the conventional thing at the time that you're supposed to do. I went to a Southern Baptist Christian college, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. I put my four years in, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready to serve the Lord. I want to go out there and, you know, change the world for Jesus. And I wasn't ready yet. And then uh, finally a couple years went by, and I, I had my first church. And once I got my first church standing, I'm like, what do I do now? You know, I didn't know anything. I just was there for the ride. And, and, and I can remember after pastoring my first church, I'm 22, 23 years old. They had two goals for me, Herman. Uh, fatten me up and marry me off. Well, they did fatten me up, okay? I'll tell you that. And then the day come where I felt led to to leave there. I'd been praying, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want to do. And to make a, a very long story short, through my pastor at my home church and uh, the secretary that worked there, uh, I knew her, went to school with her son in college. And to make a long story short, uh, she, go, she went to a different church. And uh, she goes, Corey, you've got to meet my pastor. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, I went in there all the time. Finally, one day, she wrote the name and the number down and said, call him. And it's funny how big things in life sometimes turn on small hinges. 
So I, I got the name and the number. I called him. We went out to lunch. That led to another lunch. And, you know, when you get Baptist preachers together, you have a lot of lunches, okay? Watch out fried chicken because, I mean, we had a lot of lunches. And so anyway, we had a couple of lunches. And the next thing you know, he becomes a mentor to me. And then the next thing you know, I'm, uh, I'm juggling, I'm juggling full-time job, pastoring church that I've never done before, and now I'm doing some Christian counseling in a, in a totally different church with my mentor over here. And I'm just juggling, 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 juggling. I'm young. I'm 23, 24 years old, and I'm just juggling all these things. And finally, I'm like, God, I can't keep this up. Lord, what do you want me to do? And again, to make a long story short, God made it clear over a period of time that he wanted me to leave the church I was pastoring and join this pastor over here and just show up and say, I'm here to serve. You know, I don't care about a title. I don't care if you pay me. I just showed up. I want to learn. I want to serve. That's what I'm going to do. That was the plan. And I'll never forget, I told my mom, I said, well, mom, I'm fixing to resign the church. Why? Because I'm going over there. Why are you doing that? I don't know. Well, have you thought about this? I prayed about it. Are you sure? Yeah. So the day comes, I resign from my first church. They said, where are you going? I said, over there. They said, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know. Well, did they call you? No. Are they paying you? No. You know, at, at some point, you know, people ask you questions and you feel really silly. You kind of feel stupid because you're like, I don't know. <laughs> well, Here's what my point is. My point is, sometimes when you're walking by faith and not by sight, you're so seeking God and you're so focused on serving Him and doing what He wants that you don't know what the next step is. You don't know what's around the next bend. And so when someone says, hey, what are you doing? You say, I don't know. I'm just following Jesus. And that's the truth. The, The thing about it is, fast forward the rest of the story. I left my first church. I went over there to help my mentor. And I can't even, I don't have time to, I know, Gordon, you've got all kinds of stories from what you've, you've done through the years, track and field and cross country. Uh, I don't have time to write my stories either, you know, like, like in that one step of faith, in that one step of obedience. You know what God did? He put me over here to where I grew under a mentor. It wasn't the conventional thing to do, but I learned a lot that I needed to learn under this mentor. And I met this beautiful redhead, Nancy. It was a very good decision. You know what I mean? And and, and all these other things unfolded in my life. I went from being one of them to within four years, the church grew that they needed an associate pastor. And God called me to be the associate pastor. And then six months later, the, the pastor left. And they called me as their next senior pastor. Wow. I could write a book about that, you know? And so it was quite a ride. It was quite an adventure. But my point is this, and then I'll close. You and I need to seek godly counsel. And when we do, God will draw out the understanding in our hearts. And then we hear from His Word, and we've got to make a decision. Will we trust and obey? Will we? Will we trust and obey God? Will we fully rely on Him and not trying to figure it out on our own? Will we acknowledge Him in all of our ways, knowing that if we meet that condition, that promise, He will direct our path? You know, when you live by faith and not by sight, 
you've got to get comfortable with not always having the answers. But there is one thing you can do. You know who has the answers. You see, the longer I walk with God, the more comfortable I am in saying, I don't know. But it's not just, you know, it's not me just saying, oh, I don't know. And everybody goes, well, that's just horrible. It's more, it's much deeper than that. But it's being honest and humble enough to say, well, I don't know, but I know who does. I know who does. And I'll trust him every day. I walk with him every day and then begin to testify of how he's working in your life and through your life and help someone else find their runway so they can find the center of God's will. So I want to close with this thought this morning. Are you in the center of God's will? If not, you need to look at those four runway lights. And you need to seek godly counsel. You need to go to Jesus first. As, as great as it is to talk to other Christians, and I'm all about that, you need to go to Jesus first. And let Him draw out of you His understanding of what's going on in your heart and your life. Let Him see it all. Talk to Him about it. But trust Him. Trust Him with all your heart. He will not fail you. He won't. Let's all stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to encourage you today to realize that all wisdom and all knowledge that comes from God is given to you and I through Christ. So the question is, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Stevie Ray Heyman, a preacher and a radio guy back in Tennessee, he spoke a language we understood one time. He says, how do you know if you know God? He says, I got one for you. He said, how many of y'all like Peyton Manning? Of course, you know, we're all like, yeah. Y'all know who Peyton Manning is? Oh, yeah, yeah, he played for the Vols. I know, I said it. And then he won a couple of Super Bowls. Yeah, all right. And then he says, question, does Peyton Manning know y'all? Oh, does he know you by name? See, that's kind of what the Scripture teaches if we claim we know God, it's because He knows us. You know, and Jesus said many, many people on that day will say, Lord, Lord. And He said, I'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. A lot of people claim to know God today. But if you truly know Him, it's because the other side of that relationship, God says, oh yes, I know you. You're one of mine. You talk to me every day. You trust me. You follow me. You seek me through your word. You obey me. You're my child. You wear my name. A lot of pretenders out there today. Do you know the Lord? Do you trust his word? Do you believe his promises? Do you step out in faith to follow him? That's what it means to know God. It's my prayer today that you can say that. If you can't say that, I want to encourage you that this is the time to respond to God. Maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe He's gotten your attention today. Just like that dirt the kids were playing with, maybe God is speaking to your heart. And for just a moment, 
what he is saying is so loud and clear and simple that it's penetrating the soul of your heart. You know what he's saying. Maybe he's been saying the same thing to you for a very long time. You're just now starting to notice and you're just now starting to listen. Whatever it is, it's my prayer today that you'll take that step and say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I want to trust you. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to turn from my life of sin. I want to turn from living life my way and I want to fully trust you. I want to follow you. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I just pray for each and every person right now. If there's someone here, Lord, that has not made that step, I pray right now, Lord, give them the courage to say, yes, Lord. Lord, have your will and your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.